We've sung about God's love. We have heard about God's love, especially in John's first letter, chapter 4, still ringing in our ears. It was Psalm 119 that at the very end noted being lost and found, and it was Jesus who addressed that with two, really three parables. We heard two about a lost sheep and a lost coin. Let's bring that all together as we do so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You may be seated, please. I'm excited today. Uh, no, 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 not going to use that word. That is so overused, it might be trite. I have been looking forward to today and the days ahead, looking forward to beginning a series of messages that I, I think are very important for us, especially at this time. And that is about the gospel DNA. Gospel DNA and the five markers of a flourishing church, church at large and the church even locally. DNA, you know, what, what makes us tick, our spiritual DNA, that aspect that we have that makes us who we are individually as Christians and that same fundamental characteristic of us as a body, even the body of Christ. I don't know in what realm you hear about DNA, but it's a familiar concept. It's a familiar topic. And we certainly hear about it, how important and valuable it is in catching criminals because everybody's got a very specific DNA. And that's what is true about Christians and the Christian church. It is a vital thing, this gospel DNA. It's what is at the very core of who we have been recreated to be, that is, sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. What's basic to us, what, what's fundamental to a congregation. And while in the scientific realm, DNA belongs individually and different for everyone, it's different for us collectively. And we, we share that even, although it's not a scientific way, we share that as God's people. And you know where it starts? It starts with love for the lost. That's our first part of the gospel DNA. Why do I say that? I say that because I remember, and you do too maybe, what Jesus said. He talked about his mission when he said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. That's what Jesus was all about, seeking and saving the lost. Luke 19, and even a few chapters before, Jesus emphasized that when he told three stories, three parables. We heard two of them, the, the lost sheep, one out of a hundred. The lost coin, the woman looked for and found, one out of ten. And the lost son, one out of two. Sometimes called the prodigal son, but in this series with the context, it's the lost son. He made it clear, Jesus did, how much God loves each and every person. How valuable each and every one is to our Heavenly Father. So important that he sent his Son. He gave us. Jesus came from heaven to earth to seek and to save the lost. And in this way, he's told us individually, one by one, how much he loves the people he has created. 
Nobody likes being lost. Nobody likes being lost. I mean, we look at a puppy, and maybe the puppy does feel whatever animals can feel, but we feel lost puppy, lost kitten. How, how sad. Lost, that's not something good. Sometimes people don't even know that they're lost. Some people won't even admit it if they do know it. But God knows. God knows who is lost. And he has done something about it. He sent Jesus, the good shepherd, to look, to seek, and to find. And to be not lost is to know Jesus. It is to know his truth, to receive his counsel, to follow his guidance, to receive his comfort. Not to, that's what it means to be spiritually lost. And there are a lot of such people. One out of a hundred, like the sheep, maybe. One out of ten, perhaps, like the coin. Maybe even one out of two. One lost son out of two, as we think about Jesus' stories. But our mission, our mission here at St. Michael has been summarized well. It's been summarized by saying, connecting people to Jesus. And it's maybe a little different image, but it's important because what is important is Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. It's Jesus who lives within us, using us. As Pastor Sean said, I don't know, now or earlier this weekend, we're his hands and we're his feet. We're Jesus, we're the body of Christ in the earth right now. To be honest, to be frank, too many times, too many individual Christians forget this. Too often, too many churches let it slip by and go in another direction. And too often, the Christian church at large just simply doesn't pay attention to what Jesus' mission is. Let me, let me illustrate with a story I want to read to you. I, I think it makes a good point. Many years ago, there was a little village on a rocky seacoast. The seas were ever treacherous there. Many ships were driven onto the rocks by the storms, and the lives of many sailors were lost there. One day, the people decided they should establish a lighthouse and a life-saving station on a little peninsula on the coast to warn ships away from the rocks and to save lives of those who were cast into the icy, dangerous waters. They began to secure the necessary funds for the project. They built a tower, set a beacon on it, they organized a lookout system, and they bought boats and learned how to use them. Soon, they were in business, the business of saving lives. The effects of what they were doing became known far and wide. Fewer ships ended up on the rocks. And when such a tragedy did occur, the alarm was sounded, the people risked their own lives to rescue those who had been cast into the raging icy waters. When a few short years, people came from great distance to study their lighthouse and to use it as their model. One day, someone suggested that since they all spent so much time at the lighthouse, they should gather there occasionally and enjoy good times together. And soon, they began to get together, at first from time to time, and then more often, even regularly. Then, when the lookout sounded the alarm, there they were, 
ready, ready to go out. It was decided that if they were going to spend so much time there, they must make the place more comfortable. So they heated the lighthouse. They painted the gray walls brilliant white. Some of the walls were paneled, rugs were put on the floors, and a fine kitchen was installed. The lighthouse became a nice place to spend time waiting for the alarm to sound. The lighthouse soon became the center of life, and a little town grew up around it. One night, a fierce storm blew in. Many ships were tossed on the jagged rocks, and men at the lighthouse spent long hours picking sailors from the bitter, cold, icy waters and taking them to the lighthouse. There they were fed and provided with dry clothing. This had happened many times over the years, but this time, after the storm subsided and the sailors had all left the lighthouse, there were some men who were angry. It seems the storm had made them leave the comfort of the lighthouse and go out into the wet, dangerous seas, and they got cold, very cold. The sailors, when they were delivered to the lighthouse, soiled the carpets and made a mess. The kitchen was a mess. After a brief meeting, it was decided that sailors, when they were brought from the sea to the lighthouse, should be taken into the basement, not to the nice upstairs. Sometime later, another storm blew in, and about half of the men went out in the boats and again picked sailors from the frigid waters. This time, the ship which had broken apart on the rocks was from a foreign country, and the people spoke another language and were of a different nationality. After the storm, a few more men joined those who refused to go out to the sea and rescue. They decided that people like these did not belong in the lighthouse at all. Some said they felt the lighthouse's job was not supposed to be saving sailors from other places, but only those locally, because those far away were so much different. There were those too who objected to leaving the comfort of the lighthouse to go out into the storm. Finally, it was decided that the beacon would be kept lit, but the rescue work discontinued. A small group disagreed and went down the coast a short distance and started a lighthouse. This small group decided they should establish the biggest life-saving station on the Little Peninsula. So they did. Every day they warned ships and sometimes attempted to save lives from the icy water. Fame of the new lighthouse grew and the lighthouse back up the bay eventually turned out its beacon. And yes, they also say a small group running, running the new lighthouse were those who were once rescued from the raging waters. Story speaks for itself, doesn't it? A love, a love for the lost, the shipwrecked. That's what it's all about. The kind of love that John wrote about and we've heard read, and I hope you read again from chapter 4. Love one another. And this is love, we were told, that God loved us. And then, with that love, to love one another. We can come up with all kinds of different definitions of what love looks like, what it is. And quite frankly, go to the streets and try to get definitions. Some of them end up really rather, well, frankly, atrocious. 
Love? From God, love is understanding who is lost. That is, people without Jesus. Christian love is being concerned about those people who are lost. Deeply concerned. Love is doing something. It's doing something about the ones who are lost. Not just talking about them and feeling about them. We don't always measure up. We have failures. Don't get me wrong. We don't totally forget this or put it aside, but we do have trouble with it, sometimes ignoring it, and sometimes maybe if the, if the analogy is right, suppressing this part of our DNA. In the context of what came true to us and through to us from First John's letter is that we're to love each other. And in, in that context, it's talking about Christian love, love from one Christian to another, one-to-one and among us. But what about non-Christians? What about those who are different? Too often, especially these days, and there's pressures, we think, we act, well, we need to live and let live. Some people would call our going out, going out to the sea or going out looking for lost sheep as the legs of Jesus they would call it proselytizing, and that's not good, we're told again and again. And there's already penalties, and perhaps even more penalties on the horizon. We like, for good reasons and not so good reasons, we like our holy huddle. Somebody once referred to the Christian church coming together, a congregation as a holy huddle. We love each other. We gather with each other. We care about each other. We pray with and for each other. We help. The holy huddle is fine. But, but shift to that picture, the huddle. The huddle in a football team is there for direction, for encouragement, and then you don't stay in the huddle. You break from the huddle, and you go into the game. You go to work. And the holy huddle is part of God's devising but so is the mission, the mission that he's given us. It's a matter of self-preservation, which comes so naturally. Self-preservation versus world restoration. Perhaps it's easy, for a variety of reasons, to slip into a business mode as we think about our congregation and our work, as we think about it not so much as a lost and found operation, but as one that we say, well, you know, we, we really need some more members. Our people are getting old, you know, and we, we need the youth to come up alongside. We need to get them involved. We need more money. We don't want the church to go out of business. And at, at one rather superficial, but important, super top level of understanding, yeah, that's true. But what's the deeper understanding? What's the deeper level of that? It certainly is to be lost and to find. At that level, it's the best, the best. I've got to say that during the 40 years I've been a pastor, we as a church body have, quite frankly, gone downhill every single year for 40 years. 
Now that's talking about the organizational church among us, but, but here's the focus. When I started out in the 70s, we counted over 3 million souls for Christ in our church body. Today, less than 2 million. That tells a story just with the numbers. Numbers can speak in all kinds of ways, but I've been working on the front lines of this for the last 10 years with transitional ministry, even with congregations that are on the brink of going out of business and struggling. I know it. I know it well. There's lots of responses to this kind of situation, and there's a lot of excuses as well. Things aren't always simple to add up. There are efforts to reverse this. Some of them are probably all of them well-intended, but some of them, well, not so good. But here's the question, the fundamental question. Do we really love the lost like Jesus loved the lost, like his father loved the lost? Where there's not only difficulties and tough news, there's good news too, even in our past. A little bit outside of our past, listen to this. The Ethiopian Lutheran Church. I don't know if you're aware of it, but in the 1950s, they had 20,000 baptized members in 1959. 20,000. 2015, guess how many? 7.8 million souls for Christ. 20,000, 7.8 million. Closer to home in our church body, we can look at our history and we can see seeking and saving the lost as part of who we've been. Look, in the 1940s, we started an average of one new church every week for 100 years. 100 years. Between 1918 and 1947, almost 190,000 new Christians were found. 190,000 almost Christians, people who came to Christ and believed in our churches. 18 new converts to Christ every day for 30 years. Seeking saving, rescuing the lost. We've seen it. We've experienced it. Numbers, we got to be careful with numbers. They can say all kinds of things. But certainly in part and maybe even in a big part, these speak about our recognition of our DNA and our exercising it. This passion for souls. That's God's DNA a passion for lost souls. And it's been shown in himself. And it can be shown. God works to show it in us. We were born with a different DNA. We were born in the condition of sin. But God changed that all. One by one, as people lost and then found, have become something fundamentally new something fundamentally different. This is what Peter and John gave witness to. In Acts chapter 5, you know, they got into big trouble because they were speaking about Jesus. And after being punished, you know what they said? We can't help speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. They saw Jesus. They heard his word. They experienced the new life. We've got this DNA too, and we can show it. It can come as easily as, you know, come with me to church. 
You'll enjoy it. You'll find out something. Come and how can I help? Our church can help if I can't individually. How about something that I can pray with you about? Or God really helped me through this. I'm sure he can and will for you too. Or, you know, we, we send our kids to this school and they learn about Jesus and their lives are changed. Divine passion for souls, that shows itself. And it can even more and more. It does to a great degree here. But you know what? The Holy Spirit works to increase in us good things. And we can continue to grow in that reality. How? We've got to first recognize the realities. We've got to come to terms with not only our past in terms of success, but our failures as well, our weaknesses. And we've got to own them. Let's examine what we do. And then, then repent. To turn from it, turn back to God and let him work in us and through us, conscious of what he's given us, this gospel DNA. You know, it worked in the past. It's still working in many, many places, but we can be committed to it and see it grow in us more and more. This is a challenging time for the church. I feel we're on the edge in some ways. The edge of renewing this understanding and these actions that a passion for souls takes us. A revival. Even though maybe we don't like that word, and there's a lot to say about what true revival is, but it begins here with this gospel DNA of loving the lost. It's a changing time, not only overall, but in congregation, even St. Michael, as we're about to turn the page to a new portion of history. Not that it's been lost, but that we focus upon it. We build upon it. We are renewed in that as we recognize what God has done with a love for the lost in our DNA. May God grant that for us here, those who watch and listen this morning, for all God's people. Amen.